Welcome to the Black Men Speak podcast, a show that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Keith Dent. And this show was pre-recorded the day before Valentine's Day, which is usually filled with chocolate, flowers, romantic dinners, really overall romance in general. You can call it Love Super Bowl. But when it comes to love and romance in the black community, there's something strange that is happening. And it has the possibility of potentially damaging our relationships and marriages. It's a movement called the Black Manosphere, a subculture within a subculture that was originally created to uplift black men, but at the expense of black women. The intent was to help black men improve financially and socially, but primarily blames black women for black men not having their rightful place in the privileged hierarchy. On today's show, Dr. Armin Perry, who is no stranger, will discuss some of these challenges of the black manosphere as it comes to our black relationships. Plus, we'll talk about, are there any movies with black couples that depicts marriage and relationships in a realistic way? We'll also discuss if there are any books out there that are centered around black relationships. On that note, let's start the show. Dr. Perry, welcome again to the show. How are you doing? All is well, Keith. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, I mean, we we met, I think we had a fall edition in 2021 and it went well. And so now we're back again for our second annual, I, guess, I don't know if you want to call it the Valentine's issue, but <laughs> Valentine's oh, show. Oh, yeah, but, there you go. Yeah, yeah you know, absolutely. But it's really, we're going to just talk about love, commitment, and relationships. And we have very some very interesting topics uh, that I wanted to talk about that just kind of came across that I came across. And um, so the first the first thing I wanted to talk about was this black manis fear. This article came out. The, the title of the article is my brush with the black manis fear. And I, of course, I definitely just um, got intrigued because I was like, wait, first of all, what is this black manis fear? And I kind of heard some things about it. Um, one from, I guess, this Kevin, there's this guy out there, Kevin Samuel, who has a YouTube show that talks about, you know, men and what type of um, man should women be looking for. And, but I know a lot of his acclaim really goes into how he treats women on his show. Um, but this article came out where um, somehow this woman had a bad date and she ended up, I guess, going down this rabbit hole of looking at this black, black manosphere. And so one of the things that was interesting about it was kind of what it was all about. So I'm trying to find a quote, and it was basically saying what they want to try to do is help men to kind of protect their seed, invest, and then invest into white, Asian, or Latina women. And, and then it says... There's, Further in the article, it says there's going to be two types of black women and black people in the future. One's going to be blackish, and one's going to be traditionally black. The permanent underclass, you know what that's going to be. No disrespect if you're a black man who needs to save himself, go on ahead because you can't save it. It's ingrained. You've you've got to let it. And they talk about the black race die out because they don't want to change. When asked if you this used eugenics language was intentional if he was at all concerned about historic weaponization of eugenics language against black men and women. MBD, I guess, mad bus driver, I guess he's one of the, I don't know if he's one of the founders, but he's part of the movement. Um, and he was just saying, basically saying that, um, you know, if we want to better the race or especially for black men, um, we should be choosing uh, women of another race. So I just wanted to kind of talk about that and start that off about this. Cause, so have you had you heard about the Black Manosphere before? And what are, what have you kind of heard? I mean, being a kind of expert in this area of families and things like that. Sure. So I, I was only introduced to this a couple of weeks back when the very same article that you were referencing 
it was sent to me by a, a friend and a colleague who um, was sort of uh, taken aback and flabbergasted by it. And, and I had a similar reaction, particularly the point at which I read the, the quote that you mentioned, where it talked about this idea of protecting one's seed and only investing it in uh, white Asian women. And, I, and it was at that point where I really sort of had to sort of take a breath. Um, and it was because, it, for me at that point, my suspicion was basically confirmed at that point, right? So up until then, I was making an attempt to try to be objective and and, and reading through to see, okay, well, certainly people have a point of view or perspective where folks have a set of experiences and all of those should be, I think, taken seriously and, and, and validated and, and affirmed. But it was at that point where... Um, the, the authors completely lost me and whatever objectivity I had sort of went out of the window uh, because it, again, it was at that point where it was clear to me that the, the author, not necessarily the authors, but the, the people who are subscribers to or followers of this sort of manosphere philosophy have two objectives. And, and one of which is to, uh, to demean black women, which is something that I don't, subscribe to myself. I don't see how that's helpful at all. Um, and the other one is, it appears to be the edification and uplift of any other women except Black women, which is sort of strange and um, downright cringeworthy to me, I think. Um, w without knowing the the folks who subscribe to this and, and some of the sort of the pioneers, I guess, I guess were referenced in the article, but without knowing much else about them, they, they strike me as sort of textbook self-loathing folks, um, people who uh, maybe have had some traumatic experiences that have not been addressed or dealt with, um, maybe some folks who had had some early relationship experiences where things didn't go well for them, and now they, they've used that or continue to use that as motivation and fuel so as to bring other people down and that becomes their way of lifting themselves up or elevating themselves. And I, th I think at the point in time when we graduated from, uh, from high school or maybe even junior high, I don't think any of that is necessary. It, to me, it's sophomore um, and at, at best and at worst is divisive and uh, complicit in a system of oppression. I think that has troubled our people for quite some time. I mean, and that's, that's interesting in the point where I guess in just in relationships in general, they've never been perfect. <laughs> so, and I know you're, you know, kind of the research that you did review interviewing black men bears that out, but why to the point that we need to bring our women down? Cause that, that didn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, especially I don't, I'm just saying, which is odd in the sixties and seventies, I, I guess I'll just use that point where, um, or we can go way back, that there was always, you always had to bring it or um, make sure you had game, just for lack of a better word, sure. come correct and meet the person you really wanted to be with. You weren't, it wasn't out the gate where they were just going to, um, you're just going to, you know, not put in the work in to make the relationship work. So I'm just wondering why now is there just this big, um, um, big movement where we have to put our women down. I just wonder. Yeah, yeah. That, that, again, that's that's for me. That's where that's where they they really do lo lose me. Um, now, in in reading again and trying to take an objective sort of a, a perspective on this, there's there's a part of uh, this movement where it seems as though people are trying to place an emphasis or priority on what they describe as high value men, and these are men who. Uh, bring a lot to the table, whether it be formal education, whether it be income, whether it be um, good looks or or whatever the case may be. Now, I can I can understand and appreciate if you're a person who you see yourself as someone who has a lot to offer that you would require a lot of your mate or potential mate. And I don't see it. I don't see anything wrong with that. I, I think that we should all have high standards. I think we should all think highly of ourselves. I think we should work to be the best versions of ourselves and, and attempt to partner with, with a mate who is uh, 
bringing those similar types of uh, assets and, and, and traits and qualities to the table. That's one thing. Again, I think that you can do that without demeaning other people, right? And it's also the case that if I meet a person and for whatever reason that person isn't my cup of tea or they, they aren't what it is that I require, what it is that I expect in a potential mate, it costs me nothing just to simply move on. And, and if I'm approached by a person who I don't see as sort of up to snuff or up to my standard, you can you can easily uh, decline and, and you know, with, without being uh, rude or just downright nasty the way that some of these people are. I think that in one part of the article, the, the Manosphere article, there was a mention where there was the idea that um, for years and years and decades, uh, black men have been um, the sort of punching bag and has raised the ire of black women. And, and they, they've had their time to sort of demean and put down black men. And so uh, it seems as though a part of this movement is about retribution. And, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't see how that's helpful as a person, again, as a person who is interested in the uplift of our community. Um, I, I don't see how that is, is, is going to help us get any closer to wherever it is that many of us want to be. And, and again, and to, and to be completely explicit and clear, the idea that um, to see uh, partnering with white women and Asian women as preferable and uh, optimal from the standpoint of that being an investment in one seed, I, I think that's I think that's utterly ridiculous. I think yeah. I mean, it's tough to even say that with a straight face, I think. Um, and again, that's that's no disrespect to Asian women or white women or any other. But but the idea that to make a blanket statement. Right. So it's one thing if we're talking about a specific person or if we're talking about a specific white woman, a specific Asian woman, or if we're talking about even a specific black woman. And for whatever reason, they either rise to or fall to some other type of standard. But to make a blanket statement, generalizing, saying that across the board, it is it is more optimal and preferable to, to invest one seed in a white woman or an Asian woman. I, to me, that's, I think that's ridiculous, I think. Mm. Well, so let's kind of take it further, I guess, past the relationship stage to kind of the marriage stage, because I think that's where the challenges can come. And especially when it comes to expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so do, do you think um, realistic expectations or unrealistic expectations are brought on our men in relationships, or is it, or is it just the the nature of marriage in general? Unrealistic expectations are brought on the marriage, I guess, entity itself. Sure, sure. So I'm trying to think. Like, I, like I, I, what I want to say to you is, I don't think. I don't think any expectations are unrealistic, right? So in other words, again, as individual people, we all are entitled to our opinions and our perspectives. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and absolutely. So, and, so, and so with that, as we walk around in the sort of marriage market or dating market, every single one of us is free to have whatever expectations we should and want to have. And no one is wrong for having those expectations. So anyway, so I said to say that I don't think anyone's expectations are too high or unrealistic. What I think is what I think is important is that as you engage people and you get connected with potential partners and potential mates, what I think is important is that you communicate those expectations. Right. So in other words, I've heard it said and I found this to be true that an unstated expectation is simply premeditated resentment. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so no matter what the expectations are, high or low, uh, as you encounter people, as long as you're being upfront about what those expectations are, then what you've done is now what you're involved in is you're involved in informed consent. And so if you're a person who has heard whatever those expectations are, you now in a position to know exactly what it is this other person is looking for. And then you're free to decide whether or not that's something you either can or cannot live up to something you are or aren't willing to try to pursue. But as long as the expectations are being stated up front, in a way that is clear and transparent and you're giving people what they need in order to make informed decisions about whether or not you are a potential partner for them and one that is worth their while. I don't see anything wrong with the, with the expectations. Um, now, again, I think it should also be said that from a practical standpoint, the higher our expectation, I think is important for people to know and understand 
that the higher our expectations, the smaller the pool gets. Right. Mm, uh, right. And, and so I think it's important for people to know and understand that. I also think it's important for people to know and understand that while they are free to have whatever expectations they want, it's also the case that, again, as that pool gets smaller and smaller, it's also the case that the people that you are encountering are also more likely to have similarly high expectations. Right. 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 And so I so I think that that may be where some of the sort of Kevin Samuels and people of his ilk, I think that's where a lot of them are coming from. Right. Because, again, I think they see themselves as men in sort of rarefied air, so to speak. Right. And as a consequence of that, because they see themselves as as they what they would call high value, um, they look around and they don't they don't see very many people like them. And the pool is limited. And as such, they feel like, well, I should have the pick of the litter. And because I should have the pick of the litter, it positions me to be able to, again, sort of dictate the terms of of engagement and how the relationship is going to work and be more domineering um, and be more demanding in terms of what it is I expect, whether it be from a physical appearance standpoint, whether it be from the type of career that a person has, the the amount of income or formal education that a person has. So again, so I think what's important is that um, people state their expectations, are clear and transparent about what those are, and that they also understand that, again, the higher you raise up or ascend on that sort of dating pool uh, continuum, um, the fewer options you're likely to have if what you want is someone who sort of matches what it is that you think you bring to the table. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. Um, but one of the things that me and my, uh, my a good friend of mine, we debate back and forth almost all the time is that women are independent because of, you know, in the workplace, they have their own money and things like that. But there's also still looking for their men to be their protectors and providers and where men, I think, all on the other hand, are thinking, well, hey, um, you've been given an opportunity to be more equal, and so therefore we should be equal as well in uh, maybe uh, in, in the finances or um, just equal um, partnership, that kind of thing. So is, is, there, is there that, is that um, dichotomy still there and so that's what one of the reasons why we're also having trouble with our yeah. with our women yeah absolutely i, I think that's still, that's still a, a major major issue so and i think what happens there is when when you think about this uh this idea of equality I, again i think what's happening is you can have people with two different definitions of what equality means right so i think what's really happening is for some people when they say equality what they're talking about is they really are talking about a 50 50 split from a financial sort of a standpoint right and the other people who are saying when they're talking about well with equal partners what they're talking about is people are playing different roles and each role right is uh, equally important but the behaviors associated with that role may be different right so in other words so it is super bowl sunday and so when you turn on the game, uh, the, the question may be, well, who's the most valuable player? Well, the the quarterback is a person who gets the most spotlight because he's a person throwing a ball all over the place. The quarterback is not in a position to do his job unless the offensive line blocks for him. Right. Right. And so the truth of the matter is the quarterback's role is not any more important than the offensive lines. It's just a different role and it's a different set of behaviors, but they're equally important. Right. So, again, so I think so I think that's the part about the the clear communication around what those expectations are. That's when I was saying I think that's the reason why that's so important, because if you encounter people who when they say equality, what they if what they really mean is a 50 50 split in terms of finances and bill paying and things of that nature, then that needs to be communicated and, and understood as such. Whereas there may be other men who see and recognize and value women who are in a position to bring 50 percent of the income. But they but they still have traditional sort of values that would would uh, position them to want their their wife to be more involved and take on a heavier load of the domestic work, whether it be uh, nurturing, caregiving of children, whether it be uh, uh, cooking, whether it be. 
housework and things of that nature. So again, what happens is people run into problems when those things aren't stated up front. And, and women are concerned, or what I've heard is women being concerned that they're bringing in or they're being asked or required in some cases to pay 50% of the bills. And then the question becomes, well, if I'm paying 50% of the bills, why is it that I'm still being asked to take on a disproportionate amount of the domestic work? Well, and I think that's because what's happening is whether it's being communicated or not, what's happening is you have a man who, when he's talking about equality, he's talking about a 50-50 split in finances, which has little to do with whether or not the behavior associated with the various roles are 50-50. Mm-hmm. And then you have other men who, uh, uh, for whatever reason, when they're talking about equality and, inter- and interdependence, they're talking about people who may be playing different roles, but each role is seen and viewed and valued as making an equal contribution to the good of the whole, right? And so that's what we go back to, whether it be the offensive line or the quarterback, or whatever the case may be. So I think right. what needs to happen is people need to be upfront and clear about what they mean when they talk about an equal relationship and what those behaviors are and, and what those values are, what that looks like. So that folks, again, can make an informed decision about whether or not that's something that they want to do. Cause, but as recently as, I guess, a decade ago, or, you know, that's not, a that's not, let's, our, our, our fathers wouldn't have passed down that kind of language of what it means to be a man or a father or a husband for that matter. So, so do you think that's something that, maybe that will pass down and to our kids and therefore it'll start to level out because <laughs> I, I, I mean, I know just based on viewing my dad's role, you know, his role was caregiver or, and, mm-hmm. and always what always, I always listen to and kind of not laugh at, but I just um, take a pause was, you know, the family reunion uh, song by the OJs. And mm. how it talks about, you know, this is the role of the father and the role of the mother. And um, and that's not something that would happen today. So it, it's it's very fascinating where how do we if we want to change the, the kind of the paradigm of what it means to be a husband in a relationship, what would we what would we have to communicate to our sons and even our daughters, for that matter? So it starts to be a little bit more cohesive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think the, the, the OJ's analogy is an interesting one. I think what we need is we need a remix to that song, right? Yeah, we yeah. Need, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that 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 song was, again, as, as has often been said, art imitates life. And so that was a song that came out in the day and time when it, that song was a reflection of what was happening in the society. Our society has changed quite a bit since then. So we need a, a, a new and updated version of that song. I think for in terms of what it is that we communicate to young men and young women now, I think what's going to happen is whether or not we so the communication needs to happen from us to reflect the current reality, because if it doesn't, what's going to happen is times are not going to stop changing. The question becomes whether or not we are on board with the direction that things are going. So you mentioned in the open that I'm a college professor. And what I can tell you is um for every 10 people on campus, it's not a 50-50 split. Right. Right. And so we're seeing more women in college now than we have at any time in the past. And if you want to look specifically at racial and ethnic minorities, particularly Black people, that uh, disparity gets even wider. We, we see more and more Black females in uh, higher education than we do black males and to the extent that our economy is becoming more and more of a information and technology economy that requires higher levels of formal education what that means is we're starting to see a shift and in some places that shift has already taken place but we're definitely starting to see a shift where these old ideas about sort of man as provider uh, and woman as nurturer we're seeing some of that being flipped on its head because we're seeing more and more situations where women are in a position to actually earn more Right. Again, that's the, I think that's the reason why those discussions and conversations around the roles that people play in their house households is so important, because we also have situations where uh, there are women who actually earn more than their partners. And they're and many of those women are really, really frustrated at the idea that their male partners in a heterosexual relationship, that their male partners 
could ask of them or attempt to require of them a 50-50 split, or in some cases, a 60-40 split, 60 being female, 40 being male, and then still have the additional caretaking, nurturing, domestic labor be assigned mm-hmm. to her simply because she's female. I, I think that rare is the woman in 2022 that's going to sign up for that sort of an arrangement. Um, right, right. And so, and, and then doesn't that automatically put put men in the minority because let's just say, you know, the, the women are more in the power position because of the fact that, okay, I know I'm going, when I leave college, I'm going to be earning, I'm going to be earning a good salary. And so, and then there's also with less men being on campus, it's almost as if, well, if you really, you really value me and you want to be with me, therefore you're going to have to bring my, I would say, and I would say my demands, but what I want in a mate to the table, as opposed to when it was the other way around, we had more of more say in choosing our partners. I, so I, I think that so there's two interesting and almost competing phenomena, right? One is, again, as you described, from the standpoint that uh, women, against specifically Black women, are increasingly um, earning more than their male counterparts. And we see that trend only continuing because of the phenomenon that we were just talking about in terms of demographics of college students. Um, you would you would think that they would be in a position, an adva- advantageous position to be able to make more demands in the sort of, whether it be marriage market or dating pool or whatever however it is you want to phrase it. The... The competing sort of phenomenon there is, again, we get back to the limited numbers of black men in those positions. Those are the black men who populate the manosphere, right? Because these are guys saying that, hey, I am a high value man. When I look around, there aren't many people who represent what I represent. There aren't many people who bring to the table what it is I bring to the table. So what they're saying is, no, no. I, de- I demand, I think you use the right word, right? What I demand in order, f- in order for you to be able to partner with me as a high value black man in a really, really small pool of high value black men, what I desire is I desire a woman who is some sort of a compilation of looks like Halle Berry, earns like Oprah, and is domestic like Martha Stewart, right? And so and in order for and in order for them to to partner with and settle down with one woman, they're they're being just that selective. And so I think that's where this sort of manosphere phenomenon comes from, because they're looking around and saying, well, again, we, we indeed are the pick of the litter. Right. We, we're in the rarefied air. And as a consequence of that, uh, we get to make demands because there aren't very many of us who are just around. Um, and so. Again, I, I think I think we we live in really, really interesting times demographically yes. because you have these sort of two competing social forces bumping up against one another. Right, right, right. And, and of course, that only gets more complicated when you add in the availability of interracial partners. And and again, we're also talking sort of uh, in a uh, heterosexual centric sort of a discussion and conversation. But of course, the reality is uh, out there in the dating pool, uh, many, many options from a same sex couple standpoint as well. And right. so that that adds a, an additional layer of complexity to the right. situation. Right. Yeah, that's just it's an interesting discussion. And I can't wait, uh, not wait, but it'll be interesting to see how we're trending, because even in the commercials now, uh, you're few and far between to see black couples represented in the commercials so that'll be one thing that'll be interesting to see how in the yeah. you know census data going forward absolutely it's, it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because i'm actually working with a couple of colleagues uh on a what we call a content analysis and, and these the people that i'm working with they are people in communications and in media studies and in marketing uh at the university of louisville where i work and we're working on a content analysis where we're actually examining uh commercials and tv ads to because what we've noticed is exactly what you were alluding to was the idea that at least uh, anecdotally we're seeing very very few sort of heterosexual healthy black couples being portrayed and represented 
and we're seeing more and more interracial couples. And so the question then becomes, what is the impact of that from an advertising standpoint? And maybe even to back up a little bit, what is it that advertisers are seeing? What is it that they look, what markets or demographics are they looking to reach? What type of message are they looking to send with whatever those commercials are? So whenever the next time I come back, maybe we'll have those data analyzed. We'll be able to have a yeah, sort of an empirical discussion around that. Yeah, I can't wait for that. But then on another topic, um, I ran across an article that talked about the most honest and realistic movies about marriage. So I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Uh, what possibly could those movies be? So when I went through and there was nine movies that they mentioned. So, you know, ones that, I, that I'd seen, uh, The Marriage Story, that was like three years ago with... Um, Scarlett Johansson and a couple of other movies that I hadn't seen, you know, scenes from a marriage and they didn't have the new one. That was, that was the older version uh, from 1974 with Ingmar Bergman, Bergman. And then, and then another one, which, you know, I had seen was they even had Minari on, on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things I, which I, so then, I was fascinated, like, wow, wow, there's not, there wasn't any movies that involved people of color or a Minari was one, but they, there weren't any other movies that were listed. So kind of quite surprised by that. Surprised or disappointed? Well, uh, probably both, <laughs> both okay. because, okay. because, um, cause I was trying to think, I was like, well, there's gotta be some movies that depicted a black couple, a black couple. And so, you know, I just put it on my Facebook page to see hmm. what movies were going to come out. Um, and one one that came out of, was Disappearing Acts. So I don't know if you had seen you had seen hmm. that, um, but I read the book. That was the book by Terry McMillan. Um, and then there was another, you know, and then Loving was was on there. Um, and then there's a movie, the movie Sophie's. I don't Sophie's Love, I think, or Sophie's. Hmm. Sophie's love was on there. So, but the one thing I thought was fascinating is why there weren't any movies that um, that really had any uh, people of color represented. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know what you thought. What you thought about that? Because oh, and Fences was another. Fences was another movie that was that was on the list. Right. Um, yeah. Well, of course, Fences is. Um... Yeah, so 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 it was interesting because I, I, I did see the list that you that you share with me, and I did I was immediately uh, struck by the fact that I didn't see any black folks. Um, I was I was disappointed, but I was not I was not at all surprised, right? Um, I I don't think that I I don't think that Hollywood sees or places as a priority sharing and depicting our stories. Unless it is a, you mentioned Terry McMillan. I'm not familiar with the specific book that you mentioned, but when I think about Terry McMillan, I think about waiting to exhale, and I think about I think she was responsible for how Stella got her groove back, and so on and so mm-hmm, forth. Yeah. So, and and I and I don't see those I don't see those as love stories as much as I see them as sort of women's empowerment movies. And I mm-hmm. to me that's a, that's a little bit separate sort of a thing, right? Right, because uh, when you think when you think about at least for me anyway, the sort of um, most iconic images from Waiting to Exhale, you think about Angela Bassett setting a car on fire and walking away from it in a blaze of glory, and 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 you think about Mary J. Blige on the soundtrack, right? I was your love and your secretary for I should have left you a long time ago, right? I'm mm. not going to cry, so on and so forth. So. Um, and to me, and 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 then Michael Beach, the <laughs> and Michael Beach has this sort of weird reputation of every time he's in a movie, he's always sort of a bad guy. I don't know if he's been typecast. I don't know what the, what the deal is with that. But anyway, <laughs> that's funny because um, people have said I look like him <laughs> before, so that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, you can, you kind of yeah, like if you like if you grew your hair out and had like yeah. a wavy sort of a thing, I could see a Michael Beach sort of a vibe there. Um, I was just watching another movie and, and he, Michael Beach was in it, and it was an older movie, but he was also sort of a a scoundrel of source in it. Okay. But anyway, I, so I don't have those as love stories as much as I have them in this sort of a related but separate genre of uh, female empowerment, women sort of uplift and edification movies. 
the and even with fences, fences to me uh, wasn't wasn't a, the, the the husband and the wife's relationship. Although I think it it took priority, I don't think that was what was at the center of to me mm. anyway. It wasn't what, right. what was at the center of the story. What was at the center of the story was a relationship between the dad and the son. The son, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and, and then even in that, uh, we what we find is that the the husband had been unfaithful, and and then the 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 mom ends up um, again sort of taking center stage from the standpoint that she's then thrust into the situation where she feels compelled to then raise a child that wasn't even hurt. And, and, I, and I definitely don't see that as a love story. That's not, right. You know? right. Um, so yeah, I can't, I mean, other than sort of, if you hearken back to what, like love Jones and um, like love and basketball, like those. So, so for me, and again, I'm a, I guess a man of a certain age when those were movies right. were, that were popular when I was, when I was younger, but even, even then, um, Right, and primarily those me those movies were about dating, right, right, the dating right. journey, yeah. not necessarily the marriage, the right. marriage yeah. journey, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, so okay, so when you add that to it, I don't think I can, I don't, I don't know that I know of a, of a, a story right. that centers a married black couple. And there was one that came out recently with um, Denzel's uh, Denzel's son. And I forget the yeah, I forget Isaiah, the name Isaiah, of it. Name. Yeah, Denzel's son, and but he was older, but he was married to someone younger. Um, it was and it came out. I wish I could scroll down and get the name of. Mm. I could go on my Facebook page, but because the, they put they put when I put it on, they they added that to the list. But that wasn't necessarily a happy marriage. It was kind of it right. was yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so they said, I mean, the list is long if we're talking about movies that depict trials and tribulations. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. Because, I mean, then you can, for better or for worse, for right or for wrong, you can pull up Tyler Perry's whole IDBM page and you'll see, you'll see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> burning to the ground all over the place there. Um, and, and I just I, wonder why it's, because even the, even the, the movies that they, they listed were not necessarily happy ones um i mean the marriage story was about was really primarily about divorce and so mm -hmm. was the scenes from a marriage was kind of you know they were struggling in the relationship so i always wonder is it just because it's too hard to talk about relationships or or marriage i say not relationship but marriage because not to say there's no happy ending but um just the journey is always it can be difficult. Yeah. So you know. So this. So this is interesting. So I, I think. I think two things. One, um, I think that. So in in journalism, there's a sort of a, a tried and true axiom that says if it bleeds, it leads, right? So so in other words, people like you. It's easier to sell negativity, mm. right? It's. I think it's easier to sell negativity. I again, I, I don't want your listeners to to send me hate mail if they're Tyler Perry fans, <laughs> but I, I but but I, I think Tyler Perry is an example of that, right? Um, mm. If you if you look at a Tyler Perry production and there's a black man in it, it seems as though you got two choices: he can be formally educated, may have a couple of dollars, may be nice looking, but he's gonna treat you like crap. Or you can have the other brother who is down as luck, he's in between jobs, and he has some other type of flaws and deficiencies. But he'll treat you nice, and according to Tyler Perry, like that's the list. You got the dichotomy of black guys. There's only two of them. You get to pick mm -hmm. one or the other. So anyway, so and I, and I think I think he's been masterful at profiting from people's pain because I think what happens is people see themselves, or so much of themselves, or so much of their past experiences in those productions, whether it be plays or movies, and that's what drives them to either the the theater or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, the, the the other thing I was getting ready to say is, in addition to negativity being easier to sell, I think the other thing that makes what we're describing, I think, somewhat difficult, is that for for people who are married, like if you were going to make a movie about a, a happy couple who had a relatively stable relationship, like unless I'm missing something, it doesn't it just doesn't make for a sexy story, right? You know what I mean? 
So I'm thinking about this in a, in a different context. I was I was once consulted with the it was the uh, the ad council, the people who do the commercials. Okay. And I was in a conversation with some of their folks about a fatherhood commercial, and what I was attempting to pitch to them was a day in the life of a dad, right? And a day in okay. the life of an actual involved and engaged dad. For me, at the time, it would look like this: like I would get my kid up, I would help him get ready for school, take him to school. When he gets home, I help him with his homework, and then when he gets home, then I tell him, "No, you got to eat vegetables. You can't eat ice cream." And then we go to bed. And that, like, you know what I mean? And and I right. call the doctor, <laughs> yeah. and him, right? And then I made I call the doctor and made an appointment for him to be able to get his 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 checkup on his birthday. Like, there's nothing sexy about it, right? But that's that's what the day to day work looks that's, like. You know that's what, I mean? what it's like, yeah. Yeah, and but 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 that would make for a terrible movie because nothing's being set on fire, right? No explosions. Mm. There's no sort of redemption story where someone has been done wrong and they get to get their retribution at the end. And I think that's what people want to see. You know what I mean? Um, so I think a combination. Well. I don't so this may be chicken or egg. I don't know if that's what people want to see or that's what people are, are accustomed, so accustomed to being fed that they don't realize or recognize that there is an alternative. So let me back up and say right. I don't know which of the two there. I don't know which of the, especially for our people. For all right, the reasons right. we just mentioned, right? We we've not been given much in terms of uh alternatives, especially if we're talking about movies. Now, if we're talking about the small screen, at least you could point to Sort of the Carl and Harriet Winslows and the Heathcliff and right, right, right. and I forget Damon Wayans and and, and oh yeah, Tisha yeah. Campbell's. right. So so we have a little bit more variety from a sort of sitcom standpoint, but on the big screen. But I guess this, what's so funny is yeah, because and I'm trying to think when you when you think when you think from the sitcom, it was all centered around comedy and being mm-hmm. funny. It was no, so there was really no dad, like, for example, modern family, that dad where he was, he mm-hmm. was more of, um, I mean, that's more like modern, what we're talking about mm-hmm. now. He was more the caregiver. Um, you know, he, he did have a job as he, I mean, he was real in real estate, but he wasn't necessarily this, the steady income sure. person where, um, his wife had the, you know, had the business that, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the established business that she was a part of. And um, whereby deals with our men, most of them are funny. I can think of the only Will Smith that, but that was also stepfather as well, um, where he was, he wasn't really the funny man. He was more of the, the, by the book lawyer, you know, straight guy. And so, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess the only thing that threw me off was from the movie standpoint is that they said that these movies were honest, the most honest and and realistic whereby i mean it's really and i haven't seen a lot of the films but the fact that marriage story was on the list and i mean that was really about divorce and that was not Mm -hmm. that was not a very uh fun movie to i mean to watch it was very tense and and not sexy by any stretch so it, it, it was just fascinating to to um to kind of read but the fact that they didn't have any other um that the movies were so one sided from a racial standpoint yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think that tells us everything that we, we need to know. I think what what if nothing else, the take home message is that Hollywood doesn't see us in that space. Right. Right. Um, right. I think that's really, really unfortunate. And, and, yeah. it, and it's also the case, too. Like if I step back and take a big picture, sort of look at this, I think that's also one of the reasons why I see the the, the, the manosphere people mm-hmm. as yeah. so, I think, I think so destructive and so dangerous and so insidious. Because, again, uh, healthy black relationships and couples have never gotten it just due, whether it be in academic research, whether it be in pop culture, whether it be in uh, the news, whether it be in the media. And so before we can even get our representation, before we can even get our just due, there's already a faction of our community or our population looking to move on from that. Right. And I think what's happening is we're seeing that being reflected in some of these things, some of these trends that we were just talking about, where before you can even get a, 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 a decent listing of sort of healthy uh, relationships being depicted on the big screen, you've already moved on. And now people are talking about interracial relationships. And again, to be clear, nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with those. 
The, right, but right. It's, the, it's the absence of, so the, the presence of the interracial couples is not the problem, it's the absence of the healthy black relationships, which is the challenge of the problem. But I think what's happening is the more and more uh, attention that the the manosphere folks get, the more likely it is that that'll be represented on the big screen because they'll get them because those voices are loud voices, even if they are a small minority of people, but their voices are loud. Right. right? Absolutely. And so people will end up reacting to that. And so I think for those reasons, I think uh, it's really, really important for us uh, to to continue to share our stories so that uh, we can get the, the equal billing and the just due. I think it's also the case that um, it's it's equally important for uh, increased diversity and in, in, in inclusivity in Hollywood and, and, and so on and so forth so that we can start to see um, more realistic and authentic stories being told not just about us but told by us so that will it would it take um because i know of course when president and mrs obama were in office we we saw them all the time they were you know they were very visible not just from you know political sphere but also entertainment they they did uh the late night talk shows and what have you and you know that was kind of our poster child of what a black family looked like um, but now they're they're kind of fell away from the spotlight a little bit. But do do we need to have other couples, or do we need to see that on a regular basis uh, in movies and in TV to sort of at change that shift of what our relationships look like? So let, let me. I, I'm, I'm I'm pausing because I don't know I don't know if I would go so far as to say we need that. Mm-hmm. If we had that, it would be really really helpful. Okay. Right, but but I don't know that we I wouldn't go as far as to say we need it. Um, think about what you're doing here. You are responsible for telling our story. Right. Right. In in a different sort of a way, I'm responsible for telling our story and you have a circle of influence. I have a circle of influence. All of your listeners have circles of influence. And so they can take responsibility for telling our stories in ways that are authentic in ways that aren't depending upon or relying upon whether it be Hollywood or whether it be the news media, whatever the case may be. Now, the honest truth is, if we're going to have any shift in the narrative, it's going to take a whole lot of us because we don't have the same level of platform as say, for instance, Paramount or Viacom or 20th Century Fox or whatever the case may be. So I think going that route of having representation, authentic representation in in mainstream media mm-hmm. is a quicker and more efficient way to get it done. But I, w- I would stop short to say that we need it because the truth of the matter is if if we are dependent upon that in order to have our stories displayed and represented and the narrative shifted, I think we are in for a long haul because there's no reason to believe that they're going to be able or willing to do it because they they haven't right. So again, I mean, we just right. spent five minutes talking about whether derelict they've been derelict in their duties, and there's no reason to believe that they're going to have some sort of awakening uh, anytime soon. Um, in in fact, many of these countries of corporations are being run by folks who I, I think see us and our people as expendable. And to the extent that they're going to put something out that represents us, it's um, it's in the realm of, say, for instance, like crime dramas and that sort of thing. Right. right. Um, and, and again, I'm a fan of many of those things. But if what we're looking for is some sort of balance in terms of what does a sort of a healthy, normative family look like, that's it's just not forthcoming, it doesn't seem. And I guess also on top of that, we also would have to push back against those negative, uh, like right. the black manosphere, uh, yeah. and highlight that this is not that's not a depiction of what uh, what the thoughts of black men are. Exactly. Uh, if if that's the case, <laughs> that's right. and that's a whole other thing. Maybe there is a movement whereby uh, maybe younger, where the younger set are pushing back against that because they would be the ones I, I would say that are directly affected now from you know from the you know because our shift our shift more so we're both stable you know stable relationships and there with kids we wouldn't have those same views um that uh maybe uh, black men they're in in their late 20s early 30s 
are, are going through. So it, it's it's to be interesting. And 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 if I would have thought you know, a little bit more foresight, I would have invited maybe uh, there was a guy from the, the guy from Indiana University who wrote the article. Um, in his name, Aaron Fountain Jr. would have had him on just to because I think he he was trying to um, I guess push back a little bit against what was being written. But, you know, at, so, at one point, you know, he, I think, was part of the movement. So um, because I think the movement was really designed to empower black men, but mm-hmm. it just didn't get to the, it somehow became a competitive thing against black women. So, right. uh, you know, maybe yeah. next time you know, y'all definitely try to have him on. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that would be interesting and fascinating. And again, I, I think there's nothing, again, as a black man, there's nothing wrong with, with empowering black men. We should we should all support that. Uh, but I think it's also the case that there's a way to do that without simultaneously demeaning and trying to reduce the, the, the dignity and worth and the value of black women. Because, again, I don't think anyone wins in that regard. We already right. don't have a critical mass as it stands. Right. Right. And so we, we aren't in a position to to be able to sort of pull each other down and not have anything positive happen for the collective. That's just not going to work. Right. Right. And and so and then lastly, I just came across 15 best marriage books. And so I didn't know if you got it, if you looked at it and got a chance to see if there were any that you thought stood out um, or if you've read any of, any of these books, but of course I've read the five love languages Sure. Uh, which that is always a you know book that I use as a go-to, um, but I thought what was interesting what was interesting in the books they all felt slanted towards women. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you got that that sense, but um, and of course maybe because it was from Cosmopolitan magazine, so that could be also part of it. And then the seven principles for making a marriage work is also uh, one. But what I thought was. Um, know what you thought was was fascinating was the choosing marriage uh when the expectations of marriage don't match up with the reality it's disappointing it's frustrating and you might consider walking away how do you know when to actively choose marriage and so it was written by um a licensed counselor so um i don't know based on the list did any of the books that you saw stand out to you yeah, so so the the the, um, the love language is one. I think that's a tried and true one. The I think you mentioned the seven principles by John Gottman. That that one jumped yeah. out at me because I'm familiar with Gottman's work and I know that it's uh, research based and empirically supported. So for me, uh, any of the work that is grounded in empirical data rather than exclusively someone's opinion, mm. um, I think I, I think I think those stand out to me now where both Gary Chapman and John Gottman's work um, where it tends not not fall short, but where I think it can it can be a little bit incomplete is that my understanding of their work and having reviewed some of their research, it is disproportionately data that is collected from and on white folks. Mm-hmm. Now again, so that, so I'm not saying I'm not trying to discount that. I'm not saying that the, the the data are not valid. But what I am saying is that we have in the United States of America a nuclear family model that is built on the premise that a man is a provider and a woman is a nurturer and a caregiver, and then they come together and they have children with those sort of rigid divisions of labor along gender lines. Mm-hmm. That is troublesome and problematic for Black people because Black men have never been provided with the requisite resources and opportunities to fully fulfill that provider role. And so we have a situation where a model for family has been thrust upon us without us having an equal opportunity to fulfill those various roles. And that's also one of the reasons why we see some of the trepidation and some of the trials and tribulations in our families, because we have a model that's been sort of superimposed and forced on us that was never meant or built for us. And so I think similarly, um, if you were going to push back or challenge some of the research that supports some of these books, even books that I would say, yeah, no, I think those are solid pieces. But if, mm-hmm. if I had a criticism or critique, it would be if we're having a conversation about black people, you have to take a step back and know and understand that that research was not built based on data collect, collected largely from black folks. And our situations tend to be a little bit different from a socioeconomic standpoint, from a formal right. education standpoint, so on and so forth. So. I think there's solid pieces 
take it with a grain of salt and, and look at something that try to find something that has a little bit more culturally responsive sort of a frame to it. Oh, um, yeah. And that's a great, that's a great point. If I was that person, I'm looking for a book that would be helpful from a black perspective. What books would you recommend? And so I'm, I'm resisting the temptation to say black love matters by Armand Perry. <laughs> <I, laughs> well, I, I, no, of course, of course. I, I, I but I, but I, I do think that I, I think that's that's so that would be at the top of my list certainly right. Um, it's also the case that you have to make distinctions between books that are written by uh, practitioners versus books written by uh, researchers. So the the research based books like they probably are a little bit drier, right? Like because again they aren't novels like it's not fiction. Right. Um, right. But if but if you're reading something again, it, well let me take a step back. If I were reading something with the expressed intent on trying to take something away that I can then put into my own life to help me. I don't, I don't want fiction. I don't want a novel. Right. I want something that is empirically supported, right? That's the thing that I'm leaning on. That's the foundation that I'm leaning on. Say, this is, these are the reasons why I think this may be helpful or beneficial to me. So anyway, so if that's the case, uh, certainly I think, I think, I think my book, there's another author, Diane Stewart. She has a, she has a book that talks about the, challenges that black women face in the marriage market. I think it's called the war on black women or something along those lines. It's a really, oh, wow. really good okay. book. Diane Stewart is, is the, is the author's name. Um, you can also read work by uh, Jennifer Hamer. Her work is a mix of uh, fathers and marriage. H A M E R. Patricia Hill Collins. Her work isn't necessarily about marriage as much as it is about, uh, sort of sexual politics and gender identity, but Patricia Hill Collins is always a good one. Um, uh, right. You know, I, I'll, I'll say this. I even like, so to give you one that's not a researcher, um, Hill, Hill Harper has a couple of decent books. Oh, uh, yes, yes. I think, uh, yeah. Hill yeah, he Harper. did. His book was, uh, yeah, he had a good book. And I would even say my book, In the Paint um, and How to Deal with yeah. Love and Relationships, which is... Absolutely. Yeah, a practitioner, absolutely. I guess, standpoint. Yeah. So, right. So again, so if, if, if I, if I got to pick, give me, give me a researcher or a practitioner, because again, that's not just the world according to some person, right? These are people laying out their experiences and their expertise. And then that, and so then as a reader, then there's something that you can glean from that. Right. Right. But it is fascinating. It is fascinating where, whereby there aren't really a lot of books out there for us to 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 look at i mean and and i and, and i do it's fascinating because you say practitioner or researcher and we have researchers out there such as yourself um but, but uh, there aren't many of us though yeah and but, so yeah, yeah right right so but i don't know i guess we we got to figure out how to get your book in the hands of of those especially those podcast hosts or radio mm -hmm. shows where they can talk because it's it's a research-based book whereby you've done the work to know what we need to start doing in relationships so we can push back the manosphere or just the the negative just the negative connotations of what our relationships are because you know in in kind of in closing you know what is black love today you know it's a, they had a series that's in the new york times and it said uh, and i don't know the exact Exactly, but they said eighty percent of marriages are of the same race. So mm -hmm. clearly, we're de we're not living what's being depicted uh, right. out there in the in the media, print or otherwise. Again, that's the reason why I think platforms like yours are so so important. Because again, the what's happening in people's lives is if it's if it's if it's stable and if it's going well, that's not sexy. But I think it's important for us to be able to tell those stories anyway so that people can walk away with a balanced sort of a perspective on what it is in terms of the range of options that's available to them it's not all doom and gloom five people right well dr perry as as usual great show and um definitely if i can get that guy on thanks for our because we we're going to do this you know frequently i'll definitely have you on again and we we'll chop it up with about this manosphere thing because you know it's a little alarming so yeah i definitely yeah. want to talk you know delve into that a little more absolutely looking forward to it all right so have a great night you too and take care what a show we clearly have some work to do 
if we want to understand the Black Manosphere, what it's all about, and come up with solutions to address these issues, because our relationships and families depend on it. Also, check out one of those books that were mentioned earlier in the show. I'll include them in my Black Men Speak fan page. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can listen to previous episodes of Black Men Speak on Libsyn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As you know, we like to always end the show with a quote, and it comes from the wonderful Marvin Gaye in his song, Funny Not Much. Girl, it's funny how I've stopped loving you. And it's funny I don't miss all of the heaven in your kiss. Your touch, I don't love you. Not too much, baby. Not too much. Oh, you went away and left me, baby. I don't love you too much. Just with all my heart, dear. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.